you know, I'm on shovel duty big time. So I can't, I, it's just not oh, the driveway, huh? You're at the driveway, man. So, you haven't slipped, have you? I have not slipped yet. No, but it's, it's a lot of shovel. We have like this circular driveway and it's not big, but it's like, it's just, a oh, pain so you have butt. like the roundabout where you can go in and out. Correct. Right. Oh, so it's like, I've always uh, wanted one of those driveways. <laughs> it's cool. But the, the, the shovel job is not fun. Hey guys, this is Robbie Miles, and today Dustin and I will be discussing my debut middle grade book, Don't Call It All, right after this theme song. So you have a long to be read list and you don't know how to proceed. Just give yourself a break, my friend, because Dustin can read. Dustin can read. Hello and welcome to another edition of Dustin Can Read. And this time around, I have Mr. Robbie Miles back again, but he's not going to be talking about another book. He's going to be talking about his own book, his debut middle grade book, Don't Call At All. Hello, Robbie. How are you? I'm doing well, Dustin. Thanks for having me on. Good to be, good to be back, for sure. I love coming on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Every single time now I'm starting to introduce somebody, it sounds like I'm trying to like start a radio contest or something. All right. No, yeah, I, I mean, you got the, yeah, you've got the voice, man. So everything, <laughs> I feel like I, I, your voice like rings true in my head. Like when I'll just like be sitting at home, I'll just be like, Dustin can read. You know, it's like all the time. I'm getting that Dustin voice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, okay. I want to ask you actually, um, you wrote this book and, and there's actually a little afterward of the book and it's you talking about being a teacher and seeing all the students in class and using all their phones and getting on social media and whatnot. Um, that, you know, that's the end, the end note that references that. And, yes. you know, you even said that like you have, you know, you said this on the 12 screams of Christmas episode, you know, that all the kids have TikToks basically now oh, yeah. all these kids are all up on TikTok. So what's you know, was this an intentional like tale of caution, do you think? Or did you mainly write it just because you wanted to see what supernatural stuff you could do with technology? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, for me, I really, when I set out to write the book, I had a, a bunch of different ideas and a bunch of things that I, that I wanted to put on paper. What it came down to was, um, you know, I really, I always had this, this thought that being a teacher, I see the dangers of technology and, you know, I wasn't necessarily bullied as a kid. I wasn't, I was like a, a little, you know, younger, younger kid. I was very heavy as a child. So, you know, I, through middle school, I would say I definitely had my fair, my fair ridicule because I was a heavy kid. But, uh, you know, to me, like those, the, when we were a kid, you know, the, this, the hardest part was being, feeling alone, you know, and, and to me, I'm so inspired by, how technology can make us feel like that you know like i'm constantly i'm guilty of it i'm constantly on my cell phone i'm constantly on instagram you know i i like playing video games and we do all these things and to me it really separates us you know and so and that's what's funny social media is supposed to bring us together but it's actually kind of dividing us even more it seems for sure and i think when you get to a stage like you know you or i and we use it as a platform to help our you know growth and and to share thoughts and views and and really helps brings us together for children it's a little more divisive i think you know and uh so i think all the time about how uh what life would be like if i was a kid growing up in 2020 and 2021 uh with social media and uh and facebook and instagram and all these crazy things and you know it's just it's really i'm very inspired by that whole idea of growing up with technology growing up with social media 
So when I thought about, you know, what I wanted to write about, I had a lot of different things. And again, I still have, my mind is like, it's like, I have all, always have all these different things going on. Uh, but I thought that was like the, the core idea of the story. I wanted to, to, to really hit on the fact that social media and technology really makes us feel alone. You know, and while it might seem like uh, a, a, a really good thing and kids are constantly on it, it it's really a, a divisive and difficult thing for children in modern day. Now, and, and I see it every day in schools. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's an unbelievable thing, man. That constantly I'm seeing I see it every day in, in adults. You know? Right. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, not yeah. just the kids. And you know what? That's the thing. We grew up with it, like just starting out social media and whatnot. So we kind of had to we were the test subjects. For we sure. already know how it affects you, you know, and to see kids already like they're doing it from such a young age and that's how their brain is being formed. You just know that, you know, there's just there's not some good things are going to be happening with that. You know, as far as in the future, it's going to be kind of hard for them to, I don't know, adjust beyond I mean, the computer screen. For sure, man. I mean, you think about um, just Instagram alone. You know, I, I at this point in my life, I, I can sit here and I can say, uh, you know, I am. I'm happy for other people and I'm happy for the success of other people. But, you know, there's definitely envy there. There's definitely uh, some jealousy there. And uh, these are real feelings that we feel, you know. And when you're a kid and you you are constantly seeing the, these things and you're, you're looking at all everywhere you look, there's constant envy, there's constant jealousy, there's constant uh, bullying and, and all these things. You know, when you're a child, it can be a lot. So when you're an adult, it can be a lot too. But, uh, yeah, definitely. You know, to me, that 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 feeling of being alone and uh, thinking you have you know you have all these different things at your disposal—social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok—really, when when I thought about it, uh, it, it really makes us feel more alone for children than it does help students today. So you know, with that thought in mind, I thought about the dangers of social media, and uh, you know, I loved Goosebumps as a kid. I loved all those those "Be careful what you wish for," all those big those big tropes and themes. So. You know, I set, I thought out how I wanted to do it, and that's kind of how I came up with the idea. Well, good. I liked it. I mean, it was really cool. It kind of had that same, you know, losing yourself type of vibe in it, you know, and trying to gain your freedom back in a way. Right. Well, let's actually bringing that up. Let's talk about the book a little bit. <laughs> and I have my yes, two copies. Yes, you were <laughs> one of the and my official. There you copy. go. Yes. And isn't it funny to see, you know, the amazing Cameron Chaney did the interior and uh, it's amazing to see the difference between the two, right? Yes, it is. Definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I first wrote it, I, you know, it's my first book, so I really didn't know what I was doing. Still don't really know what I'm doing. But, uh, you know, it was great to have that the interior done. And it just it just looks and feels and reads more important, most most importantly, like a real book. You know, and I think after the right. arcs came out. It was like it felt it was so cool to me because I finally had a book out. But, uh, you know, it's it still, you know, there were some kids that manuscript out. feel. Correct. Correct. So Not now, quite you know, finished. Right. So it just, you know, it, it warms my heart to know that it's a finished product and it's out there and it looks and has the feel of a real book. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And Cameron Chaney, just for those who don't know, Cameron Chaney, author of Autumn Crow and host of Library Macabre. He actually offered to help Robbie out and he, you know, worked on the inside of the book and, you know, formatted it and made it look really nice and sharp and crisp and clean and great job. Thank you so much for that, Cameron, on Robbie's behalf. <laughs> and just to tell you what kind of a guy Cameron is, you know, we, 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 we've talked we've back and forth a lot on social media, but uh, he personally reached out to me 
I don't, I, I don't even remember how it came up, but uh, I, I got a text one morning, and uh, I think it was after I sent. I asked him if he was interested in reading an arc. He said he'd love to, yada yada. And uh, so I sent him that. Um, he had met. He texted me back that he really enjoyed it. You know, gave me a few, uh, gave me a few, you know, a few texts on what he really liked, what he, what he, I thought I could work on, uh, which was great in and of itself, very helpful. And then uh, a few days after that, I get another text from him saying. You know, hey, dude, I just I, I really would love to do the interior for you. And I was like, you know, I, I could didn't know how to yeah, thank go for it. I, I was like, go. you know, he's like, I just, you know, people were helping me out during my first book. And uh, I really would love to pay it forward and help you out. And I was like, honestly, this is one of the cool things anyone's ever done. And I would be honored to have you work on it. So it worked out well. Well, now you got to learn some new skills so you can pay it forward to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm working on it one day at a time. <laughs> okay so uh, let's talk about this book so the story is actually uh, about young jesse and jesse just really wants a phone really badly uh, really badly badly he starts off a little bit whiny because he's he really everybody else he just everybody else has a phone and i don't have a phone and i want a phone and blah 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 he just can't let it go cannot let it go his parents are like you are too young you are not mature enough you don't need the phone and, you know, they're trying to tell him what he needs to hear. He doesn't want to hear it. So he basically just drools over his friend's phones all the time, you know, and he's like, oh, what happened on social media? How many likes did you get? I just want to know. <laughs> just let me know. And nobody. It's, 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 it's funny. It's funny that you you said this once before to me when we were texting. You said he's whiny. It was one of the first things you said. And I never really thought of him like that. But you're right. You know, he is. He's very whiny about it. And uh, again, I think that kind of whininess and that kind of like very uh transparent winery came from goosebumps you know that that very like oh yeah you know totally. what I mean? so that that oh yeah this, totally yeah, yeah this book when i wrote it, it it felt very much like a goosebumps to me that was my first goal in writing i wanted to do a middle grade horror book that felt like a goosebumps you know that's not my long-term well, writing it comes goal. into its own that's the thing i like about this it right. comes into its own so yeah so jesse yeah jesse feels left out of social media all, all together all the action everything all the technology and so at one point, he just randomly meets this guy, this really gross guy in the park. I mean, the guy is seriously grotesque, and I'll let the readers find your description of it. It's just really gross, but yeah. Um, but he has what Jesse wants the most in the entire world. A phone, of course, a smartphone, to be exact. So Jesse reluctantly agrees to take the phone, and the only the only thing he has to agree to is that he's not going to try to return it. He can't give it back to the guy. So, you know, he takes it and he's like, whatever, I'll take it. It's a free phone, right? Why not? But soon things start to happen in Jesse's life. Sinister things. At first, it's cool because Jesse's, you know, getting popular, you know, he's getting attention and he feels like he's caught up with the Joneses, so, so to speak, you know? However, when bad things really start happening and they start getting noticed especially to his classmates, and he starts receiving weird texts from somebody named Ghost, Jesse begins to realize his new phone is most definitely cursed. <laughs> oh, yes. And he's got to figure out a way to get rid of it. Oh, yes. And that's that's the basic gist of the story. I don't want to give too much away. and Or tell you all the stuff that happens, you know, that give him all the clues of, maybe I need to get rid of this phone. I was going to say, it's funny, <laughs> as you're going through the synopsis, I just, in my head, I'm going through everything in the book, and I want to shout out all the all the different pieces, because it's exciting. Oh, like when me. he does this, or like when this right. person does this. Yeah, no. Right, or all the influences <laughs> do it. and don't all do that. It, Robbie. 
you know, it's just, it's so exciting for me to have this book out and for people to read it. it it's such a dream come true. You have no idea. So, you know, the fact that you're even on here sharing the synopsis is, it's such a, it's such a mind blowing thing to me to even think about. So it's it just a little surreal. It's surreal. Yeah. So I'm just like, uh, it's, it's very exciting to talk about. So anyway, continue. Well, it was, you know, it was a really fun story. You know, one thing I want to ask was how long did it take you like actually to write the book? I mean, just at least first draft. So the first draft took me about three months. Okay. Um, and three months, I'd say roughly. I wrote it over the course of one summer, and I think I had started it, uh, and I'd written maybe like 5,000 words, 6,000 words. And it's funny. I actually, you know, I direct teen tours over the summer. So, I, you know, pre-COVID. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with what a teen tour is, but we travel the world. And, uh, you know, it's basically the, the company that I work for sends trips all over the world uh, to all over the East Coast, West Coast, uh, in the United States. It goes to New Zealand, Australia, um, Canada, anywhere in the world you can think of, they send trips there. And what it is, it's basically, you know, 30 to 50 kids traveling by bus all over the country, wherever it is that they are, they'll fly out or whatever. And you need to do all the fun stuff where you are. So, you know, if you're out west, you'll go hiking, you go to Tetons, you'll go to Grand Canyon, you go to Zion, Bryce, you know, and things like that. You go to California, you go to San Francisco. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's a really, really cool program. So I direct those over the summer. And so I, I when I went on the trip, I really had hunkered down. I was writing and I went on the trip and I said to myself, you know what, I want to continue writing this. You know, I started before I went on the tour, I did about 5000 words or 6,000 words. And I was like, I really have a passion for the story. I really want to tell the story. So I was like, you know what? I, I didn't want the tour to interfere with that because it's a lot of work and it's long days. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to wake up every day before the kids, you know, you stay in hotels or you go camping. I'm going to wake up every day before the kids wake up and I'm going to write as much as I can every morning. So I made it, you know, my, my daily routine. I wake up at six before the kids wake up, usually around like seven, seven thirty or depending on what our activities were. And uh, I, I woke up every morning, I wrote and, you know, I would try and do like 500 to 1000 words every day. And um, good. That's, and, that's and amazing. I got it done. That you yeah, stuck to the goal. <laughs> I, I stuck to the goal. And really, you know, the, writing this first, first book taught me a lot about routine and how important it is to write every day. And, um, you know, I, like I have my current manuscript right now, it's about 8000 words. And I kind of stepped away from it for a minute. And I'm kicking myself, you know, because I had a lot of things going on, which is, it's okay. But, um, you know, I, I feel like you lose a little bit when you step away from it. And, yeah, uh, you can, but sometimes it can give you more perspective and it actually might, might give you a, a breathing room to come up with a better idea to change something too. You know, Also true. I, I, I definitely agree with that for final drafts for sure. Like give it a week, give it two weeks and come back to it. But um, I really feel like for my, for myself, when I write, you know, doing it every day is super, super important. So um, yeah, I mean, so that's how I got it done. It took me about three months total. Um, the revision process took a lot longer and, and learning the ins and outs of that, learning the ins and outs of getting it published. And that was a whole, how to let go thing. of certain things that you're like, I don't want to change this a hundred percent. What's funny is the, the, um, the arc that you read is different than the final copy that you read somewhat, not crazy, but the first copy. And I'm sure, you know, this was, this was very eye opening to me and I'd worked with an editor on this book. And, uh, you know, a lot of self-publishing uh, authors don't work with editors. Um, they kind of just do it themselves. I had chose to work with an editor and um, she was phenomenal. Her name's Allison Cherry she's from New York City. And uh, she really made things pop, you know. And, and what was cool about that is, is, 
it, it was interesting to see how much needed to come out. And, you know, it's funny how different the first version of this book is than it is now. It is a totally different book. And simple things like, so for example, I don't want to give too much away, but um, the grotesque gentleman that you spoke about, who they first come across in the first couple chapters, who's yawping at a crowd, you know, on the streets of New York City uh, in a hooded cloak. Uh, in the original version of the book, he was just a an old man kind of like limping and he was grotesque, but he was kind of struggling and people were making fun of him and people were like getting on his case. And the editor was like, this is horrible. She's like, this is really not cool to do to this old man. They're like, you know, so I said, you know what? I think she's right. It's like an evil, you know, I think Jesse had got in on it too. He was kind of making fun of the guy. And uh, I was like, this isn't what I want in my book. I was like, this is not really how I want my antagonist to be. And uh, so she kind of opened my eyes to that. And so I made him, I was like, if he's going to be the antagonist, the antagonist, he needs to be, you know, yawping at the crowd and like being evil on the spot and not being not somebody just, you empathize or sympathize right, for. Right, right, right. For sure. For sure. So, uh, you know, little things like that, that when you're, you're writing the book, you just don't even think about, you know, and like you had said, sometimes stepping away really helps. It didn't help me. You know, I, I, I was like, this is great. I kind of wrote it and I was like, this is the way I'm going to go. But and she helped more than anything, you know. It's a little bit about letting your ego go a little bit too, you know, like, okay, I know I don't always have the best ideas or, you know, or maybe this one, you know, it's not always going to work out just because I think it does. Maybe it doesn't read that way to somebody for else. Sure. To you, it, you see it in your head and it totally makes sense. But somebody else is like, I don't get what we were going for, you know? For sure. And that, so, that was just one minor thing amongst, you know, a, a zillion things that she had helped with. And um, so that was great. You know, it was really helpful to work with an editor and see how they work, how they kind of look at manuscripts in different different perspectives and, you know, kind of how they look at things. Because, again, this is my first time and it's been such a learning experience. It's been awesome. Well, yeah. And, you know, and another thing you said, you 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 know, the whole book pretty much is told in the first person perspective through Correct. Jesse's eyes, Correct. which you said you don't really want to write in first person perspective for at least for a long time. I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> To be fair, yes, and I'm glad you quoted me on that because you're 100% right. Uh, so I did it, and this is kind of how I, I, you know, I wrote this book, and I decided to go with it, um, very goosebumps-ish. But I didn't like it because I don't think I write my best this way, to be honest with you. And I think I it did feel to me more, you know, like it's not necessarily my 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 style. And I wrote it like this. I say that this is the only book I have out, and this is. You know, but it's not necessarily uh, my style. Maybe it is your style. Right. But uh, <laughs> no. I think I think that I wrote this and I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick with the first person and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And I think in my head when I was first writing, um, you know, I'd written things before this, too. And I can talk about that. But like, I think when I started writing this, I just I didn't really know what to expect. You know, so I started writing it. It was in first person. I was like, how, how can I move the story as best I can? You know, and I was like, first real story that I, that I wanted to get out there. Like, this is going to be the one that I publish. And I was like, how can I move the story as best I can? And for me at the time, it was like first person. You know, it's like, I go here, I go there. I did this, I did that. And to me, that, that was just a simple step-by-step -step where, what I can do, what I can do next, where I can bring the story. And uh, to me, that I think was that's a lot of like beginner writers do that because they, they kind of put themselves in the character's shoes, you know, and just kind of, I'm going to live this out as the character and kind of, get it out there. And I think that's why, and I don't think it's a bad thing. You, you know, it's totally, and you can totally tell 
I don't know if it's your writing or if it's just the character growth throughout the book, because at the beginning, like I said, he sounds whiny and the way the language is and the way it's written, it changes throughout the rest of the book. Hmm. It kind of matures as he matures. So, which I liked a lot, like the story got better as it went on. He got better. The writing got better. So it just felt like maybe like all of it felt like it was on purpose. So, you know, I think he did a really great job with that. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's funny looking at my, the new, what I'm writing now and seeing the differences is cool also, but it's just funny like when i'm writing in third person now and i feel much more comfortable doing so you know it's not as easy as i go here i go there i do this i do that but i uh, it just it, it looks a lot better on paper and it really to me it feels more natural i guess um yeah so you know we'll see what happens well maybe you can try it again later on i mean you know what i've noticed there are a lot more especially YA books doing first person perspective, but first person present, like things are happening right now. Nothing happened in the past. You didn't go to the store or you didn't, we didn't, you know, we went to the store. No, we are going to the store. Like that's when it's happening. And I thought that was interesting how that's happening. It seems kind of hard though, to keep up with like, I always want to write in past tense, but you know, well, that's why, that's why we have editors. Well, that's why I, At one point in the book, in chapter nine, you break away from Jesse's first person perspective and focus on a little short love story between his best friend, Brad, and his new girlfriend, Sarah, as they share their first kiss while walking the dogs. And it's all sweet. It's a really sweet scene. So glad Um, you brought this up. Yeah. Um, Even if it ends... I mean, it, it does end with Brad receiving a threatening text message from Ghost. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, stay away or die, you know. For sure. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, you know, that, that chapter nine, chapter nine, correct? I have to remember. Yes. Um, so that chapter nine, you know, I uh, when I wrote it, I really, uh, you know, I wanted to give Brad his moment. And um, I, I really, you know, I'm a huge Stranger Things fan. And I really wanted to have that, you know, that snowball moment. And, uh, you know, that 11 walking into the, you know, the snowball, having that 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 amazing moment. And, uh, you know, I felt like Brad was a big enough character in the book that I wanted to give him a little bit, a little something. And um, I thought like Brad and Sarah having that kiss was a great way to isolate uh, Jesse even more. You know, so I thought that if Brad had this budding kind of relationship and it had been brewing a little bit before that in the book, I thought it was a great way, you know, to isolate the main character more and just give Brad his moment get my snowball moment in there. And so when I thought about how to do that, um, you know, I thought about different ways to continue to isolate Jesse and give him, you know, kind of take everything away from him except for the phone. And I really wanted it to be this idea where it was just Jesse and the phone and he really had nowhere to turn to. Um, and because uh, that feeling to me, you know, when we were kids reading those goosebumps, it was always the kid versus the world. You know, the parents never yeah. believed them. And it was, it was always that feeling of isolation and, and aloneness. So I really want to try and bring that out as much as possible. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I just kind of felt like that was, that was uh, the right thing to do with Brad. And uh, I didn't really know how to do that from Jesse's point of view. And, so, I mean, it, and you know what? It really kind of breaks up the the, it, it, the tension in the middle. Kind of divert. It kind of keeps you more interested. You're like, oh, wait, we're doing something else now. You know, what are we doing? For um, sure. You know, that's that was really cool. But it's still it kind of in a way it was like, oh, this is happy little love story in the middle. But, you know, ghost is still looming over it in the same sense, you know. So for it's, sure. Like, Again, really I, I thought that. For sure. I thought it was an opportunity to kind of get Ghost, you know, more involved and get get this, this uh, you know, this essence kind of just it, more moments for that to kind of come out and end on a sinister note. I also, you know, I got to tell you, people tell me, text me all the time. And they say they love that chapter. 
And I think if I could go back and change one thing, I would change that chapter. I, I, I didn't, love, I didn't, I didn't love it when I first did it. And, uh, but people tell me all the time that they, that's like their favorite part. They really loved having that, that moment for bread. Um, but I remember when I finished writing it and I was going through it with my editor and I, I can't keep coming back to that chapter and telling myself that I wish I didn't write it like that. But, um, it, it ended up being really cool the way I did it. Uh, so, you know, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. And it, people, it, it, you're not the only one people. Yeah. People are telling me a lot that they really enjoyed that chapter. So. It is really good. I mean, I like it. And like I said, it breaks it up and makes it, you know, and it kind of gives you just a different perspective because it's also, it's written in the third person perspective. Like Correct. you said, it's not written in first person. So you're seeing everything from outsiders per point of view, which was cool right. too. It was kind of neat. It was like, oh, we're switching to third person. All right. And then we go right back to first, which is, you know, neat. 100%. 100%. I did the, have people text me that, sorry to cut you off. I did have people text me. They're a little confused. They're like, did you mess up? Did you screw up? I said, no, not at all. I said, I said keep reading, keep reading. Um, you know, a lot of people that aren't, aren't you know, uh, constant readers that, that picked it up because you know, they're close friends or they're, they're family members, they they text me. They're like, you know, I'm not sure if you were supposed to do this. Is there, is there an error here? I'm like, no, just keep reading. I, I, meant, it, I meant it that way. And um, Did you put that in originally or was that something you add, the chapter you added in in the editing process or was it always in there? It was in there originally, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so it, it was, I'm really glad I did it that way. And uh, it ended up being, you know, a really cool chapter that people are really enjoying. So I'm glad. But like I said earlier, you know, one of the things that was really helpful for me as a, as a debut novelist is, uh, you know, writing that first person. And I, that wasn't originally my goal. But when I started to write uh, the book, it was really helpful for me to do the first person so I can, you know, go, um, you know, uh, you know, this place to this place to this place, kind of map out what I wanted to do in first person. That, that was really helpful for, for me uh, in writing this book. Right. And um so when I did this chapter, it was definitely like a change of pace. And it definitely gave me ideas for the future. And I definitely, I've told you before, I don't want to write in first person anymore. Uh, I, I'm glad I did it for this book. And it, it came out great. Um, and, you know, my goal was definitely to give that Goosebumps type, you know, feel. And I think I got that across, but uh, never again. <laughs> never right. first person again. That's fun. You know. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there's this mean teacher in the story. And Correct. Miller yeah, the killer. He's a real SOB. He really is. He's a horrible yeah. person. Yeah. Did you like, is there like a, did you, or were you picturing yourself as the teacher or did you, <laughs> did you have no, a teacher no, like this growing up? Like, so, so I did have, there's a teacher that I kind of, as I was writing, I, uh, I like kind of based off of what, while I was writing it, I, uh, I thought to myself, like, this is what I had in mind. And it, it was a guy by the name of Mr. Root and he was a seventh grade science teacher. And, uh, he was a nice guy by all means. He was not a, not a, like a meanie, like Miller the Killer. But um, for whatever reason, as I was writing it, I had this guy, Mr. Root, in mind. And he was kind of like a Navy, military, you know, background type situation. And, um, you know, I, that's the classroom that I picture when I, you know, you know, even with the desk set up, I pictured that classroom. I, I, I really do, I couldn't tell you why, but Mr. Root was the teacher that came to me when I thought about Miller the Killer. Um, not so much in appearance, but in their, you know, their mannerisms, the way they spoke. Um, and, uh, Appearance wise, I really, for some reason, I had. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Slither. I think, yeah, we, yeah. I, I, I think we spoke about this uh, at some point. But uh, Michael Rooker's character in Slither, who's you know the main guy, he's the, the bald, kind of jacked guy. He, for whatever reason, that's who I think of when I think of. I could totally see color. him. I see his you know? face, and I, I know right. Michael Rooker, and he, I, I, told, I kind of, you know, what he, uh, the, I'm kind of thinking more of him as the, uh, the guy from what, the part he played in Mallrats. 
Oh, yes, yes, exactly. Kind what's of that kind of character, is, too. Kind of a jerk, just kind of what's arrogant. What's funny is, and this tells you who I am, I asked you, have you ever seen, uh, I'm trying to, you know, ask you if, you if you know who Michael Rooker is, and I asked you if you've seen Slither, not Guardians of the Galaxy. So that, that, that tells you where my job is. Um, hello, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right, right. It's funny, my mind goes to Slither instead of Guardians, which is funny. It's okay. You're more about the horror, and that's more horror-based. I mean, it's, it's still sci-fi, but it's still horror Correct. sci-fi, you know. Slither's amazing. If any of you guys have not seen it, go check it out. One of my favorites. Slither plug. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get the slither plug in there. Okay. So let's talk about the cover, which yes. is an awesome cover. So if you haven't seen the cover, guys, it is a, basically a skeleton who just looks wide eyed and crazy looking down at the smartphone and the, the light is just beaming on him and or her, you know, depends. <laughs> um, and it's just it's just this nice black and white hand painted, hand painted on a canvas cover um by Cameron Rubik and you know go ahead and tell us a little bit about that experience there yeah man I I mean just you know the cover came out so awesome and uh you know I think that was a big draw for people who read the book it's it's been received so great so greatly so far and you know through so many people and uh I think the first thing that you got to think about when you think of don't call it all is the cover and um, I really, I, I have to, you know, give a shout out to, to my illustrator. Cameron Rubik has been such a professional. He was wonderful to work with. I'm so glad that we ended up, um, you know, uh, I ended up taking him on to this project. Uh, he showed interest from the start and it really was, you know, we were a great partnership and it, it worked out great. I think one of the things about, um, one of the biggest things about Don't Call It All is the cover. And I think that's the thing that really pops. And that classic uh, it, Cameron Rubik skeleton. Classic Cameron Rubik, man. And, um, you know, a few really cool things. I think that um, uh, people who aren't familiar with me as a writer or on Instagram or any of those things are buying the book because they see the cover. You know, and I, I think that um, there's a lot of people that have bought it because uh, they're familiar with me and, you know, what, what I do on Instagram. And it's excellent. You know, I have a, a, a pretty solid following and uh, I, I've definitely made my own niche. But Cameron, what well, Cameron brings to the table is his amazing artwork. And I think, again, a lot of people have seen the cover and they're just like, you know, the his books, the amazing Kill Bill, Kill River series um, are phenomenal. I think people uh, are, are drawn to his name a little bit. And uh, so I think that really helped get book sales. And it's been amazing so far. It's been a really amazing process. He's a super, um, super nice guy. Like, I don't even know the guy. And I just happened to mention, like, your book cover and how it was awesome. He was like, thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. I love, you know, oh, he's, he's, just, he's so, a, just so genuinely and humble. And just, you know, I, I, he seems like a really cool guy. He's so great. Such such a really cool, nice guy. Big horror fan. Uh, obviously, he wrote the, the amazing Kill River series. Uh, it's total slasher tight, which is awesome. Um, and originally, I actually was going to go in a different direction. He was not originally on my radar for this project. But um, as I kind of explored other options, and I, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. I was excited for it, but I think I, I, I was like trying to explore other things before I made a decision. And then I, you know, I, I'd been. I definitely had befriended Cameron Cheney. We were talking a lot. And uh, I guess I had inquired about Cameron Rubik. I'm not sure what, what went on. I figured, you know what? Let me let me see if I can get Cameron Rubik on board. You know, why not? I think that would be so awesome. As a first-time author, I feel like if I reached out, who knows? You know, I, I consider him a big name. So I was a little, you know, I was hesitant to kind of reach out to him because, um you know, as a debut novelist, you don't really know your boundaries. You're not really sure if you're overstepping your boundary, if it's if it seems silly to kind of reach out to these guys. But uh, I did it, and I reached out to him, and he was so excited to take it on. Um, and we in- instantly clicked. Uh, he's such a great guy. And uh, one of his things, I will say this, which is awesome, is he, you have to have a skeleton undercover. 
that's his big trademark and he won't do a cover without it. So instantly I agreed. And he, you know, we kind of pitched ideas back and forth uh, and he had an idea and it's what now became the cover. And he sent me, um, you know, some concept art and I loved it. I really did. I fell in love with it. And um, it, it's very similar to what you see now. And uh, it, it just, it, you know, really came together. And the other really cool thing about Cam Rubik, uh, which is a, a, not eventually what put me over the edge was like, I have to get this guy uh, being such a big collector and being an, an author and, and wanting to do more books for sure. Uh, what Cam Rubik does is he actually paints the art. So he does it on a canvas painting, which is so, so cool. And he sends you the canvas art painting. So you have right. it for your collection. So he actually, you know, we, we came to an agreement on the cover and all, all the logistics. And when he finished, you know, I, I took my camera, my DSLR, and I, I did the cover myself and all, all that uh, work that went into it. But I actually now have the canvas painting in my collection oh, nice. fra- framed up in a really cool shadow box. How big is and, it? Uh, I want to say it's like an 18 by 24, roughly. Okay. Maybe a, li- maybe a little that's smaller like, than that. That's pretty good size. Yeah, maybe like a 15 by 20. It's not. It's It's pretty good. And he didn't. Um, he has you like pick the eye color too, right? Yes, yes, that's correct. Very well, very well. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, he does. So I got to choose the eye color, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the slappy green, the slappy, you know, the green eye oh, color. That is, that, I can totally see that. Yeah, you know? that's probably so, uh, subliminal. <laughs> for sure, for sure, man. So I went with the slappy green, and uh, I, I, I can't thank him enough. So if you're listening, Mr. Rubik, uh, many, many thanks. You really, really crushed it, and you brought this project. Uh, together and, and made it such a memorable thing for me so thank you bud and if any young uh, other you know debut novelists or young authors out there are looking for for a cover artist you know he he does great work feel free to reach out don't feel intimidated uh he is definitely an extremely talented person uh you know that from his books from his artists but don't hesitate man uh He's a great guy you know reach out uh one of the things I, as i mentioned that was really difficult for me it was kind of breaking in getting to know people and and finding people that are willing to help early on and um you know Cameron Rubik is one of those people so definitely uh if be humble and reach out and he he's a great guy man I, I really can't recommend recommend him enough for young authors well good all right well before you said you were uh you're you know in the future you wanted to you know work on some, you had some new projects in mind and I just want to know, I know you told me something before it had something to do with time maybe. Yes. So I yes. just wanted to know just a little bit more about that. Give us a little hint of what you're working on. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I do have another book in the works. Uh, you know, there was some talk about a sequel for don't call it all. And I do think that there's definitely one in the future, not right now. Uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed writing don't call it all, but, uh, definitely want to move away from that at the moment. Um, so the book, the next thing that I'm working on right now, I'm about 10,000 words in at the moment. Uh, it's called, uh, it's just, I, I envision it as a series. It's called the Time Watcher series. Uh, and basically, you know, I always kind of was inspired by the whole, um, you know, it Goonies kind of situation, you know, where you're, when you're a kid, um, you know, everything is, is a lot scarier. And as you get older, you know, things are, aren't really as scary anymore. And you're not, you know, you're not haunted by, by the, the monsters in the closet, the monsters under the bed. Um, that kind of fit theory is like really special to me. I love that idea. And uh, obviously, I write children's horror, so so clearly there's uh, some love there. And uh, so I, you know, I thought about this idea where I, I the, when I first thought about the synopsis and the series that I wanted to write, I really wanted to create a villain. You know, with that with that in mind, uh, you know, the the whole idea of you know growing up and these monsters not being able to um, you know come out of the closet anymore or come out from under your bed, uh, and I wanted a really powerful and evil villain. 
So I thought about this, you know, the first concept that I thought of is this guy called the Watcher who sat on this giant throne of clocks and kind of watched, you know, every child in the world. And uh, he keeps tabs on these clocks in this underground, you know, cavern that he just lurks and he kind of watches all the kids in the world. And so that was the idea for the Watcher. And I, you know, I had to think about logistics and how how things are going to actually work out. But the first book, the uh, the way it works right now is there are three kids. Uh, and also one of the things that I felt was lacking from Don't Call It All, and it wasn't really my goal to do, was to really create powerful characters. You know, I think there were some some powerful relationships and um, things like that, but I don't think the characters were as powerful as I as I could have made them. And I think they were more a uh, little flatter. Um, it was more about the story, more about the you know the t- the the tricks and turns. Um, well, like you said, you know, don't call it all. It was more goosebumps esque, and that's what goosebumps absolutely. does. They make he absolutely. begged it up for a reason so that anybody can picture themselves with those characters. So I wanted to be a page turner. I didn't want to get too in depth of the characters uh, for this series and for this book, The Watcher, with you know the the evil character lurking on a throne of clocks in this underground cavern i really wanted to get into more character work and i really wanted to develop you know a set of best friends and uh that that really round characters and really you know uh played off each other um kind of that stranger things vibe you know where they're all very close growing up uh and you know i've had the same best friends my whole life so it's really simple for me to do that um yeah, you know, over thirty years of friendship with these with these guys in my life. So, uh, I really I love the, the you know the idea of friendship in books. I love the idea of having best friends, especially when you're a kid. You're um, big on nostalgia anyway, because you know the whole. I, mean, uh, I am too. You know, we're all about sure. we love stuff that reflects our childhood. <laughs> oh, for sure, man, for sure. So, uh, you know, again, so the Watcher, and basically the book starts out, and um, the three best friends are having a sleepover, and uh, you know, they're about to watch a scary movie, and, and they go to bed, whatever, whatever, and uh, in the night, so the the Watcher has an evil sidekick named Gr- Grimilda the Witch, and uh, you know, I'm a huge Hocus Pocus fan, so I really wanted to get a clumsy witch in there, and she's the clumsiest. And and she's like a silly old witch and she's clumsy and uh, she makes mistakes all the time. And I really wanted to create like a fun character like that. But anyway, so Grimilda, the, the, the silly clumsy witch ends up kidnapping or taking, you know, in the middle of the night, she lures him, I'll say, not kidnap. She lures him into a bush and, and she kind of brings him back to, you know, the watcher. And uh, that's kind of how things start. And the watcher keeps this, this, you know, everyone there kind of uh, who's underground, all the children that they, that they kind of take over, uh, help to grind the levers and, and the switches in, in the cavern that, that help uh, grind all the clocks and everything that runs in their, in their underground cavern. And uh, so they become actually, little, little minion slave type. People. Exactly. Like little minion slaves. And uh, so that basically starts the adventure and uh, it's like a horror, it's like a, a horror adventure. I'd say so, uh, a fantasy horror, I'd say. And okay. um, I can see that. Really, yeah. That sounds I'm fun. really excited about it. And um, so, you know, that's the first book, how the first book starts. Um, and I do envision, you know, the second book where there, there's a lot more happening. I do have ideas for it, but I'll leave it at that. And I'm really excited. You don't about want to get too far ahead of yourself. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but it's funny. You know, once the first book's out, man, the ideas are flowing. You know, I, I, yeah. never, I've never been one to really like not have ideas. I have a wild imagination. Well, you, you've ripped, you know, you, what do you call it? You broke the seal, I guess you want to say, kind of like when exactly. you're drinking beer and you don't, you know, you go pee. <laughs> I broke the seal and I'm just, you you know, I'm, doing it. I'm excited. <laughs> exactly. I'm excited to get more out there. And not only that, but you learn so much in your first book, uh, how to work with an editor, how to reach out and get an artist, uh, you know, a, a lot of different things, how to do the cover, how to 
publish it. Uh, ins and outs of so many different things. Um, how to format, you know, a lot of different things really, really helped shape the first experience. And it gets exponentially easier after that first one. So, um, you know, so now it's, it's a matter of, you know, getting the writing part is really the easy part for me. You know, uh, it's everything else, the editing, that that's the kind of grind for me. So. Let's do some quick rapid fire questions. All right. Hit me. See what you got. Yeah. Try to see if you can answer as fast as you can. I'll do, I'll do my best. My brain is not functioning 100% right now. I'm in like a food coma. I just, okay. just, I just, just, just have word association in all a way. Right. So all that's right. what we're going to kind of do. So right. I'm, I'm going to be like, all right. Favorite Goosebumps book? Attack of the Jack Lanterns. Favorite King, Stephen King? Sounds a lot. Uh, favorite horror movie? Halloween 1978. <laughs> that all right. Favorite non-horror Ghostbusters. Favorite piece of memorabilia you own? Okay, so I think I mentioned to you, right now, I, I do have something on the way that I think is going to take the cake and be my favorite. I, I have no I have no other option here, uh, so I'm going to give a shout out to two things right now. In my collection right now is my Haunted Mask signed R.L. Stein book um, that I got the night I spent having drinks with R.L. Stein, which not many people they can say they've done. So, you know, I... I from that experience, I got him to sign a book for me, The Haunted Mask. So that is definitely right now. But I do have on the way, which I can't, I'm so excited for, is a Scary Closet Slappy replica. And if you're familiar with, with Scary Closet, uh, they do like movie studio type work. Uh, it was very, very big purchase. And uh, it's actually painted by Charlie Kyoto, who is one of the creators and makers of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. He did the paint for it. So I, I'm like, it's it's like a dream come true. So this is my I know that's one of your favorite stuff. flicks. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's number two behind Halloween. Anyway, <laughs> continue. Sorry, I cut you off. Continue. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Your favorite dessert. Favorite dessert. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll go cheesecake. All right. Favorite exercise. I know you work out. So I do. Big workout guy. Uh, I mean, I do a three day cycle. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, bench press. Okay, what superpower would you want to have? It's a good question. I think uh, I think teleportation. You know, I I hate traveling and I hate getting in a car and driving in a long drive from point A to point B. I think if I could just like transport and teleport and it like, just boom, like click it in two seconds, I think that would that would be it. Yes. Okay. Well, if you have if you had just a million dollars to do whatever you want to right now, what would you do? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um. All right, I would definitely buy a significant amount of movies on the spot, a whole <laughs> bunch of horror movies on the spot. I would make sure uh, that my parents have everything they want at the moment, and my sister. Uh, and then I would buy a house, I think. I think I'd buy a house and have put myself set myself up where I can just sit and write every day, be on my own schedule. Just be comfortable. Um, just be comfortable. And I, if I could write as a full-time career, that'd really be my goal. You know, I'm a seventh grade English teacher in New York City, and I love it. I, you know, I'm really passionate about it. Um, it's it's amazing to be able to transfer the things I love to them, uh, and it really shines when I teach. But again, writing is definitely the career that I want to be able to do for a living. So if I can make that happen, that would definitely be what I would do with that money. Well, yeah, totally. You know, and I, you know, it's nothing against teaching or anything like that. But I know a lot oh, of teachers sure. after a while they kind of sure. just they want to take a break at least. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And it's not even to say that I uh, I'm writing for the money because that's the complete opposite. You know, it's <laughs> just that if I could do it in a way that I, that I don't have to dedicate time to any anything else. You know what I mean? Exactly. I yeah, totally understand that. That's sure. cool. 
Thank you, Robbie, for being yeah, on. Man. Of course. I'm so excited for your book. I'm so, you know, I have, I bought my own copy. You gave me awesome, an article man. and I bought my own copy and I'm yes. so happy to have, I'm happy to have both. And uh, I can't I wait can't, to tell I, more people about it. And I can't wait to get, get it for my, uh, my younger people, my younger kids and my family. I can't wait to get it for them. And man. so it, just a, another reminder, guys, don't call it all by Robbie miles available on Amazon. Dustin, I can't thank you enough. You know, for the moment we cross paths, we, we hit it off. So thank you for having me on. I really, I have such a good time when I'm here and uh, yeah, uh, I look forward to being on again, man. Oh, thank you, man. So yes, like you said, don't call it all is available on Amazon and be sure to give Robbie a shout out on Instagram. He's at Robbie miles, one, four, four, five. Um, if you have any questions or comments about today's episode or the show in general, reach out to me on Twitter at Dustin underscore Holden or on Instagram at Dustin can read. You can also get me an email at Dustin can read pod at gmail.com. Also, if you can do me a favor, go to Apple podcasts or wherever you listen and be sure to rate review. And I would love that. It would really help me. Um, it would, you know, help me grow the show, help me, you know, improve the show. And sure, um, be sure to subscribe so you can be alerted of new episodes when they drop. I, you know, you don't want to miss them. So thanks again for listening. Until Til next time, everybody. Dustin can read. See ya.